Good morning. Um, today's reading is from Psalm 8 and a portion of Hebrews chapter 2. So starting from the beginning of Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. We're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. So starting from the beginning of chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to, uh, to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Amen. Thank you, Paddy, and uh, let me add my warm welcome uh, to you all. My name is Robin, the Minister of Chalmers, and I'm glad to be um, sharing uh, Hebrews with us uh, today. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter um, 2 and page 1001. Just before we start, though, um, Katie, Katie Skirving. Uh, has got engaged to Robert. Where are you, Katie? Are you here? You are here at the back. Do you know one of the wonderful things about everyone coming in from the front is the front are full. (laughs) And the back rows are quiet. This is like the new creation. (laughs) Katie, we're delighted for you. And congratulations. And to mum and dad and Alex and to Robert, let me pray for you. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that as a church family, we can share pain and share joy. And we thank you for Katie and for her engagement. Bless them as a young couple, as they look towards marriage. And may it be a thrill for the hearts of their mums and dads and siblings and all of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there is something profoundly moving and inspiring when someone famous or someone with power and authority steps down to our level and becomes one of us. It happened in the queue when David Beckham queued for 12 hours. It was obvious just from the interviews the impact that made on the people around him. One lady holding on to his, his jacket said, he's just one of us. Or much more significantly, the late Queen's humility, as comfortable in the company of her gillies and gamekeepers as she was with the great and the good. She was always the sovereign, but for countless millions of ordinary people, there was a personal connection with their lives. Her own father, George VI, and the Queen Mother stayed with their people in London during the Blitz, and they were with them in the rubble of the East End. The impact of that kept people going, kept the country going in a difficult time. And in the terrible situation in Ukraine, President Vladimir Zelensky and his wife, the First Lady Olena Zelenska, inspiring a nation, not just by their leadership, but by their normalness and affinity with the people with his T-shirt on the television, and with people on the ground. There is something profoundly moving and inspiring when someone famous or someone with power and authority steps down and becomes one of us. Now, all these examples I have given are helpful, but nothing compared to Jesus who came from glory to earth into our experience as humanity. Now, our prayer, and we'll pray this now, is that as we consider Jesus and think carefully about who he is, the, the sheer extent of his condescension from glory to earth and to the cross and to be made sin and to bear wrath, will steal upon our minds and hearts and profoundly move us in trust and obedience. So let's pray. Our Father, help us to understand the significance of Jesus coming from glory to earth into our experience as humanity. Help us to understand the magnitude of his descent, his humility, and embrace all that it means in our lives so that we will be encouraged to stick with Jesus, to go on living as his followers, and to keep listening to him as he speaks to us through his word. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. 
Now, if you have your Bibles, as I said, Hebrews chapter 2, page 1001. And I have no idea what it is on your phone. Now, the letter to the Hebrews, and some of you are joining this series this morning, so I'm going to just bear that in mind. The letter to the Hebrews is written to encourage weary Christians to stick with Jesus or to go on as his followers and to keep listening to him as he speaks. There's a little phrase in chapter 10 that captures the heartbeat of the letter and its purpose. For you have need of endurance. Now, there are people here in front of me and sitting beside you. And there are people online, and we know this as a church family, who given your circumstances, you have need of endurance. Or it might strike a chord with our heart as a church, for you have need of endurance this past week, uh, about Tuesday, the dust clouds were uh, significant in the building. And uh, now, that's great, but after eight years or so of waiting for the, the building plane to land, this lectern up here is covered in snow dust. You have need of endurance. Well, does it strike a chord at this particular time in our history when it is increasingly difficult and increasingly opposed to hold fast to the true gospel of Jesus and the Bible, for you have need of endurance. Do pray, all of us, for tomorrow. Millions, billions of people will tune in. And I want us to pray for the clergy that they will just call it as it is, that this woman had a clear Christian faith. Pray that they will connect her faith to Jesus and will explain his gospel. Who knows what God might do when literally billions of people will hear about Jesus. For you have need of endurance. How do we find strength to keep going? Answer, this letter by considering Jesus. Now, the word consider is the word the author of the letter uses, which is why we are using it. So, for example, uh, consider Jesus so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider Jesus. What does that mean? It, It means something like this. Think carefully, understand who he is, what he has done, where he is now, what he will do in the future. Consider him. Study what is revealed to us about him in his word. Know him. Know him. Know his person. And therein find strength to endure. And if you have need of endurance, you will be encouraged. If you have drifted away, or perhaps are even considering turning away, let him call you back. 
Come back. Jesus says. Now, turn back in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Just help us, I think, to put our verses in context. They are like an overture uh, that plays all the notes and the themes of the symphony that follows. We just read them. I keep going back to them. They're marvelous, marvelous words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, these verses are heavy laden with rich fruit about Jesus. Let me highlight one thing. One thing. And that is where Jesus is right now. Right at this moment, as we sit here in this local church, where is Jesus right now? Now, just look at me on the middle of verse uh, 3. Where is Jesus right now? After making purifications for sins through his sacrificial death on the cross and having, and this is implied in the text, been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty God on high. Now, that is where Jesus has been and is today ever since he ascended into heaven. That is where he is right now. As we gather as a local church on earth, Jesus, now picture it in your minds, we're meant to from Scripture, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? Well, just let me read again. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What is the name Jesus has inherited that is more excellent than the angels? Answer, Jesus has inherited the name King. King of God's all-powerful, everlasting kingdom. Jesus right now, and all of this is for our encouragement and endurance, right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high as king. He reigns and he rules from heaven. Now through the rest of chapter 1, a contrast is drawn between Jesus and angels. And one of the things, and Jay has really helped us get our heads around angels, they are a big deal. Jesus is way bigger. Now, I want you to look at just one verse. It's verse 13 of chapter 1. Just another step to give us context. 
Chapter 1, verse 13 is a very important statement in the writer's developing explanation of Jesus. To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The answer to the question is that God has never said that to any angel. He has only said it to Jesus. Jesus is way superior to the angels. But what I want us to note is the content of what God says about Jesus. Just look carefully again at that verse. Sit at my right hand until, and that word until is key, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit there enthroned as my king, reigning and ruling until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, for our encouragement and endurance, Hebrews says to us that Jesus is enthroned as God's king, that he is reigning and that he is ruling from heaven. Is he? Is he really? For it does not look like it or feel like it. Most people, the vast majority of people in the world today, do not submit to his rule. Those who reject him as king hold the upper hand. But notice what God says about Jesus in that verse. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, just hear what God's word says. That is a now, right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God as the all-powerful king. And that is a not yet, his enemies are not yet a footstool for his feet. His rule is not yet seen or felt in the world. And that is what the writer to the Hebrews starts to unpack for us from verse 5 of chapter 2 through to chapter 3, verse 6. And we'll study this section over three Sundays, really taking our time to understand what he's saying. So read with me verse 5 of chapter 2. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It's just making the same point. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. That's a sentence that's got the past tense, the future tense, and the present tense in it. Yep. It was not to angels that God subjected, past tense, the world to come. That's the future. And that's exactly right. There's a now and a not yet. Jesus rules now, but all things are not yet subject to his rule. That's in the future when Jesus returns from heaven and there is a new creation. A new heavens and a new earth when everything and everyone will come under Jesus' rule. Those who have believed in him as their saviour 
will live in a perfect world under his rule. And those who have rejected him, which is what it means to be an enemy of Jesus, will be judged by him and condemned for eternity. There is a now and a not yet. So why does the writer of this letter speak in the past tense about the not yet? Because the not yet must happen. Why must it happen? How do we know it will happen? Because Jesus has been appointed as God's king. And from the moment Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the majesty on high as king, the course of the rest of human history was set. And there will come a day when everything and everyone is subjected to Jesus. It will be seen. It will be experienced. It will be wonderful and terrible, depending on whether or not we are believers in Jesus or not. So why the delay? In order that God, and I'm quoting here from Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10, will bring many sons to glory. The word sons embraces both men and women. Son means a child of God, an inheritor of the everlasting kingdom of God with Jesus. And when Jesus comes again, and the not yet dawns, there will be no more opportunity to bring sons to glory. On that day, there will be a division. Believers in the new creation reigning with Jesus, those who have believed safe, and those who have rejected judged a footstool for his feet and condemned. Now that's the logic and the truth. That is the explanation as to why it does not yet look like or feel like Jesus reigns and rules. Now, take a deep breath. And get your heads around this. What you're saying as a a team prepping to preach this material and study it, Hebrews is wonderful but hard to explain. And if you find different bits of it hard, go and listen again this afternoon and with your Bible open and try and wrestle with it and pray it into your heart. Pray for God's help right now that you will understand something extraordinary, and it's this. As a Christian, as someone who has stuck with Jesus, you've held fast to the gospel and his word, and yet you're weary and discouraged. The explanation that the writer to the Hebrews has given us of the fact that Jesus is right now ruling at the hand of God is a source of strength. 
Moreover, the explanation of the delay until all things are under his rule is a source of strength because we know why there is a delay. Moreover, the guarantee that the not yet will be because he is enthroned is a source of strength. But as you are strengthened and as I am strengthened in knowing all this about Jesus, it steals upon your heart that this waiting time for the not yet was so that you and I could be rescued by Jesus. And this waiting time for the not yet is so that many, many more people, some of them very close to us, and a source of our need of encouragement, their salvation will be saved. Sometimes I think in praying for tomorrow that I wonder if, or maybe that tomorrow will be one of the last chances the whole world gets to hear the gospel. Why there's a delay. And more than that, as you grasp that the delay between the now and the not yet, between Christ reigning and all things being under his feet in the new creation, was so that you and I could be saved. We grasp also in Hebrews what Jesus did in order to save us. How far he came from glory to earth into our experience as humanity. That's what we prayed, that God would help us understand the magnitude of his descent, his humility for us. Now, verse 6. Hebrews 2, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now that's a quotation from Psalm Eight. Now, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 8. you find it on page 450. Now, Psalm 8 is a psalm of David, God's chosen king way back in the history of Israel. And David, inspired by God, writes or sings, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. 
Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, is that a sight you can identify with? Even in the city, on a dark night, we can see the stars. Walk five miles into the Pentlands, and instead of seeing a hundred stars, you'll see a thousand stars. You see the stars behind the stars behind the stars, away from the luminescence of the lights. There's David watching the vastness of creation. Inspired by God, and we can echo his words, he writes, what is man or humanity that you are mindful of him in this vast universe and the Son of Man that you care for him? What worth, what place in his creation does God give humanity? Answer in the Psalm, verse 5, Yet you have made him, humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now these words echo Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. What worth, what place in humanity, in his creation, does God give humanity a place of privilege, of responsibility, God has given us dominion over this earth. All things he has put under our feet. Humanity given the responsibility, the mandate to rule. And at creation, God crowned us with glory and honor. What does it mean that God in creation made humanity a little lower than the heavenly beings? Well, it means that We were given that privileged responsibility to rule, but under the rule of God. The heavenly beings, not just God, but the angels, humanity, mandated at creation to rule responsibly over God's world. Think of the gathering of global leaders this afternoon, Buckingham Palace and tomorrow. The mandate given to them and us is to rule under God. And as King David, inspired by God, lay on his back and looked up into the night sky and recalled God's mandate at creation, what is man that you are mindful of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels to rule over this world. David would have thought then, as we think now, what a a tragic travesty has happened. A disordered, broken, ravaged world where subjugation, power, hostility, and disunity is rife in the heart of humanity. What might have been? What might have been? Imagine if Christian faith was a religion of what might have been or what might be again. Christian faith is a religion of what God has purposed in his grace and mercy that will be again. How then will humanity's privileged place in God's creation be restored? Answer in the new creation. How though? Turn back to Hebrews, page 1001.
It has been testified somewhere, we know it's Psalm 8 now, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Who is the psalm about? It is about us as humanity, but the writer to the Hebrews shows us that the psalm is also about Jesus. How do we know it is about him? Well, one thing from the context in Hebrew, this letter is about Jesus, not us. Consider Jesus. And from the text right here, just look carefully at the text. Do you notice how the text here in Hebrews 2, quoting Psalm 8, is just a little bit different from the Psalm in the Old Testament? Here is Psalm 8 in the Old Testament, yet you have made him, that's us, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And then in Hebrews, you made him for a little while. It's different. Lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And so this psalm that poignantly expresses God's intent for humanity ruined by our rejection of God's rule, is fulfilled in Jesus, whom God made for a little while, lower than the angels, who is now crowned with glory and honor. Just read on the second half of verse 8, including everything in subjection to him, to Christ. God, he left nothing outside Jesus' control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus. But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Now, just build the logic of Hebrews, the need of encouragement. See where Christ is reigning and ruling. Why the delay? So that you could be saved. How did he save us? The eternal Son of God, present and active at creation, The eternal Son, one with the Father and the Spirit, was for a little while made lower than the angels. Think on that. You know, it's a truth that can invade our heads, but it must invade our hearts and our affections. Jesus took the massive step to become lower than those who were lower than him. What a distance it was to become lower than the angels. And yet further, down to the level of humanity, Jesus joined the queue and became one of us. The eternal God with us. And there is more, as we'll see next week. He became our servant. He became sin. And he became the bearer of wrath. 
But we see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, as we finish, do we grasp as we prayed Do we feel the magnitude of his descent, his humility, the sheer extent of grace, or the distance of grace, or the the gulf that had to be breached? He did this to save you and me. Now, these words, you'll know well, it was a momentous day when Neil Armstrong stepped onto the moon and his famous words, that is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It was an infinitely more momentous day when Jesus stepped onto the earth. That was one giant leap for Jesus. And through faith, one massive leap for us. Weary, beleaguered Christian, where you have need of endurance, consider Jesus. He rules and he reigns. There is a now and a not yet. The not yet is all things will come under his feet. Believers in a new creation with him unbelievers the footstool of his judgment. The delay is so that you can be embraced. And those on your hearts and those in our world can be embraced still. And as you wait for his return, thankful that the delay has saved you, Ponder his descent from glory to the cross for you. Ponder his ascent from the cross to heaven, where if you are a Christian, your soul is now way up there, and your body. And this world will follow. And as you ponder that, let your affections for the man Jesus Christ grow. Swell up in your hearts and minds. And stay close to Jesus. Listen to him. Do not drift and do not turn away. And if you, though, are one of the folks, maybe listening online, because coming to church is just too hard and too big a step, And a little chink has opened up in your mind and heart. Come back. Not to church. To Jesus. Come back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to get our heads around and our hearts around 
who Jesus is, where he is now, what will happen in the future, why there is a delay, and perhaps most of all that you have saved us in this delay and how you have saved us ascending from glory to a cross and ascending from the cross to glory where we are seated by faith now Lord for those in need of endurance put strength in their stride and for those who have drifted away come back to Jesus Amen